The Human Podcast features weekly service audio from the Unitarian Universalist Metro Atlanta North Congregation of Roswell, Georgia. Please visit us at human.org. Good morning, human. I'm Ria Mongia, a human member. On behalf of Reverend Dave Dunn, Director of, Religi- of Religious Education, Lexi Tan- Tagney, Music Director Alex Peach, my fellow worship associates, and the dedicated technical team that is making today's live stream possible, I would like to welcome you to the Unitarian Universalist Metro Atlanta North Con- Congregation, which we lovingly call human. We are a liberal faith community with a mission to nurture our spirit, strive for justice, and transform the world. No matter who you are, who you love, or where you are on your spiritual journey, you are welcome here. If there are any of you visiting us for the first time and feel comfortable doing so, please identify and introduce yourself so we can worship with one another as friends. Are there any first-time visitors on my left? Hi. Hi. Annie on my right? No. Second hour religious exploration for children, youth, and adults will begin on September 11 at 11.15. Some of the adult classes being offered this fall include Stewards of the Earth, Eating to Extinction, Issues in Unitarian Universalism, Sunday Service Reflection, Prophetic Sisterhood and Neighborhood Connections Ministry. Please look for more details in human announcements and on the children and youth and learning links available on the homepage of our website. Next Sunday, September 4, will be our annual blessing of the animal service. All the furried, feathered, scaly, swimming members of your families are welcome and encouraged to attend. On August 13th, the program and council hosted a retreat to talk about what steps we need to take to move forward at UMIN. The the conclusion of the retreat was that the most important thing we can do this year at UMIN is to focus on engagement from outreach to engaging newcomers to develop new leadership. The next step in this process will be via Google Meets on Thursday, September 1st. And again, everyone is invited, even if you were unable to attend the Saturday retreat. Kennedy Knowles will take us through a process called the Problem Tree that will help us identify obstacles to engagement. 
Please come to the Google meeting prepared to talk for one minute about what you see as people as problems to engagement at Human. You can join the meeting by clicking on the link in the calendar on the Human website. Please see Shelly Negrani, Program Council Chair, for more information. And now Lexi Morang has an announcement. Good morning. I am Lizzie Morang, and I'm here on behalf of Lexi, our Director of Religious Education, Exploration, sorry, um, and the rest of the RE Council to announce our Autumn Carnival, because Harvest Festival was already taken. Um, on October 29th, starting at 4 p.m., we will have a big party here on campus to celebrate Halloween, Samhain, Dia de los Muertos, anything else that you might personally celebrate in late October, early November, that kind of time. Um, we are going to have games, a haunted hayride, a raffle, a costume contest, and tons of food to share. It's going to be great for all ages, down to the little littles, to the 99-year-olds. If you're 100, congrats. Um, I don't know how you made it through the last few years. Um, and we're going to have tons of food to share. Uh, we hope you'll join us for a little spooky fun and to learn to appreciate some different autumn traditions. We're going to learn about some different stuff um, from around the world. And now is the part where I ask for help. If you want to help make this festive celebration the best that it can be, please email us at dre at human.org with the subject Autumn Carnival or something like that. And lastly, we are in need of about four more enthusiastic team members to join the religious exploration teachers. The goal with this is to ensure that everybody gets to be in here a part of this service as well as part of that program so that you, we all can't pour out without being poured back into as well. Um, so if you want to help with that, please direct inquiries to the same email, dre at human.org, with the subject line, volunteering. Thank you so much. And a written version of this announcement will appear in the next volume of the Human Times if you weren't listening. Thank you, Lizzie. Namaste. Namaste is a Sanskrit word that essentially means I bow to you. It's often, it also means that I, the light in me honors the light in you. Today's call to worship is by the poet Rumi. There is a community of the spirit. Join it and feel the delight of walking in the noisy street and being the noise. Drink all your passion and be a disgrace. Close both eyes to see with the other. Open your hands if you want to be held. Sit down in this circle. Quit acting like a wolf and feel the shepherd's love filling you. At night, your beloved wanders don't, don't accept consolations. Close your mouth against food. Taste the lover's mouth in yours. You moan, she left me, he left me. Twenty more will come. Be empty of worrying. Think of who created thought. Why do you stay in prison when the door is so wide open? Move outside the tangle of fear thinking. Live in silence. 
flow down and down in always widening rings of being. And now let us light our chalice together. Today's chalice lighting is by Leslie Paul Coslow. Flame of fire, spark of the universe that warmed our ancestral hearth, agent of life and death, symbol of truth and freedom, we strive to understand ourselves and our earthly home. Once upon a time, there were two rival groups, they were cousins actually, who vied for the kingdom in India. In one group were the five Padava brothers. They were of the Kshatriya caste, the warrior caste in India. The oldest of the Padava brothers was Udistra, and he was challenged to a dice game by his rival cousins, by the oldest member of his rival cousins. Now, because he is of the Kshatriya caste, he cannot withdraw from a challenge. He must accept the challenge. That's his duty as a member of that caste. In Udistra, he begins to, he begins to lose small, small wagers at first, but trying to win what he lost back, he ends up losing more. Then he begins to lose his possessions. Then he gambles away his rights to the kingdom. Then he wagers his brothers and loses them, so now they will be slaves. Then he wagers himself and he loses. Now he will be a slave to the rival cousins. After he wagers himself and loses, a jackal is heard off in the distance crying out. And that's an ominous sign, an ominous sign for the country at this point. To intervene, uh, to interrupt this bad omen of the jackal howling in the distance, the king who is overseeing this dice game decides to intervene. And he decides to grant Udistra's wife, Draupadi, Three wishes, three wishes. The king says to Draupadi, what is your first wish? And she wishes freedom for her husband, Udistra, which is granted. What is your second wish? She wishes for freedom for her, for her um, in-laws, brother-in-laws, Udistra's brothers, and they are now free. King says, what is your third wish? She says, no, thank you. I don't want anything more. I'm satisfied. Thank you, Alex.
Was that in the order of service? <laughs> okay. <laughs> awesome. Cogito ergo sum. This was the phrase uttered by French philosopher, scientist, and mathematician René Descartes in 1637. Cogito ergo sum. René Descartes is a pivotal figure in world history. Although he initially aspired to be a military officer and he served as a mercenary in the Dutch state's army, eventually he found his calling in academic pursuits. He revolutionized the world of mathematics, developed a coordinate system that is called the Cartesian, he named after him, called the Cartesian coordinate system. He combined two disparate, separate uh, realms of mathematics, algebra and geometry, and formed a new mathematics called analytic geometry. But it was the death of his daughter who died at age five that caused him to pivot and turn to uncover universal answers in philosophy. He applied his logic and scientific methods in hopes of finding universal answers to these questions that he was asking himself. His method was to doubt everything. How do we know what we know? What can we know? Can I doubt that I exist? With this question, he eventually came to the answer, cogito ergo sum which is Latin for, I think, therefore I am. That was in the 17th century. <clears throat> Yet back in the fourth or fifth century, another pivotal figure put forth a much different philosophy that expounds upon the implications of just what it means to think. The thinking doesn't confer selfhood, but something else entirely. And it really wasn't his philosophy, for the roots of this philosophy went way back further than the fourth and fifth centuries, way back to the ancient Indian texts of the Upanishads, the Mahabharata, the Ramayana, and the Rig Veda, which dates to 1500 BC. Yet around the fourth or fifth century in the common era, CE, the Indian sage Patanjali brought forth this wisdom, this ancient wisdom, and wrote it as the Yoga Sutras. In the West, yoga is thought to mean nothing more than, a, than an exercise regimen consisting of a series of poses, when it's actually an entire philosophy the poses, called asanas, are training for posture. Posture is a single branch of yogic philosophy, a single branch, a single limb of eight limbs, which comprise yoga. The eight limbs of yoga are moral principles, observances, posture, breath control, withdrawal of the senses, concentration, meditation, and pure contemplation. 
So those are the eight limbs of yoga. But what is yoga itself? Patanjali answers this in the opening of the Yoga Sutras. He states, this is the teaching of yoga. Yoga is the cessation of the turnings of thought. This is the teaching of yoga. Yoga is the cessation of the turnings of thought. Imagine that. An entire philosophy from the fourth or fifth century with roots way back from the Upanishads, the Mahabharata, the Ramayana, the Rig Veda, dating back to 1500 BC, an entire philosophy whose goal is the cessation of the turnings of thought. Why? And what would Descartes say? Scholar Barbara Stoller Miller, in her excellent translation and exposition on Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, states that the goal of yoga is to still the motion of the world and so liberate the subject from the tyranny of uncontrollable thought. Again, imagine that. The tyranny of uncontrollable thought. Why? Again, Patanjali answers. When thought ceases, the spirit stands in its true identity as observer to the world. Otherwise, the observer identifies with the turnings of thought. For Patanjali, and according to the philosophy of yoga, the tyranny of uncontrollable thoughts connects us, binds us, enslaves us to the material world, a material world that is full of suffering. The word yoga means to yoke, to bind. The full practice of yogic philosophy is to bind the observer to its true, to their true spiritual identity, rejecting the material identity of the world, a material identity of the world that also includes thought and memory, constructs of memory. Barbara Miller again writes, to grasp the paradox of the spirit's limitations, we have to pare away layers of misunderstanding. <clears throat> First, using thought to overcome the limitations of thought itself and recognizing the paradoxical nature of things is fundamental to breaking the connections between fragments of experience and obliterating the constructs of memory. Constructs of memory. Again, according to this philosophy, the tyranny of uncontrollable thought and the constructs, constructs of memory alienate ourselves from ourselves, blinding ourselves to an unknown and ultimately unknown future, which is a fantasy, illusion, delusion, or replaying of past experiences, constructs of memory, replaying things over and over in our minds, maybe 
hoping for some different result. That's fantasy as well. Illusion, delusion. And it's delusion because the only real moment that we have is right now. And now. And now. Barbara Miller says, in a real sense, Patanjali has established what it means in terms of yoga for one spirit to to achieve its true identity as observer to the world, a witness rather than a suffering participant in a world of ceaseless, volatile change. An observer rather than a witness. An observer rather than a participant. What can this mean for us? Maybe you don't want to be a mere witness observer to the world. Maybe you're willing to be an active participant in this world of ceaseless volatile change. And yes, maybe in a world of ceaseless volatile change that has without a doubt suffering. A few weeks ago, one of our members, David Krober, gave, gave a sermon called Deconstructing Christianity. That is what I love about Unitarian Universalism. In our search for truth and meaning, we are allowed, we are encouraged to deconstruct, reconstruct, deconstruct again, reconstruct again, and on and on. As you use, we are encouraged to learn and grow. We have permission, we have freedom to deconstruct, reconstruct theologies and philosophies in a way that resonates with our lived experience. That is a great gift. That is a great gift that not many religions have. It's a great gift of Unitarian Universalism. So how might you deconstruct and reconstruct the yoga sutras in a way that resonates with you? Let's start with the word suffering. I get to pick, the, I get to pick this where we're going to start because I'm giving this sermon. <laughs> Let's start with the word suffering. <clears throat> Professor of philosophy at Columbia, Francis Ambrosio, says, etymologically, the word suffering comes from the Latin word of passion. Passion is the opposite of action. Action is something we do. Passion is something that happens to us. We can't help losing a loved one and feeling sad. We can't help falling in love and feeling joy. With this, we suffer pleasure as well as pain. And again, this doesn't have to be your choice, but let's just say that if we choose to not be rather mere observers to the world, but active participants in it and the accompanying suffering of pleasure as well as pain, what could we possibly carry forward, deconstruct and reconstruct, of Patanjali's philosophy, the Yoga Sutras, that might work resonate for us. 
maybe you haven't considered this, but might you be unnecessarily subjecting yourself to the tyranny of uncontrollable thought? Constructs of memory? Anxieties about the future? Recollections of the past? How might you know? If you've ever tried yogic practices of meditation or breath control, concentration, or deep contemplation, and if you found that difficult, you wouldn't be alone in that. But that's probably a sign that you are affected by your thoughts. Tyranny of uncontrollable thoughts or constructs of memory. I go to a yoga studio where we practice some of the limb, yogic limbs. And one of the teachers often says something that I find so valuable. It brings me back to myself, it reorients me, and it's simple. She's leading us through a whole series of uh, flowing poses. There's a beginning and an end, and you go through it. It's a whole series. So how do you get from one place to the other? What she says that reorients me, she says, let your breath take you there, which I found, find fascinating. It reorients me because usually I'm thinking the next, thinking the next pose is this, here's where we're going, we're going to do this side, we're going to do that side, we're going to go, you know, or, or your body's going. But this is specifically let your breath take you there. If I were ever to reconstruct the Yoga Sutras in a way that resonates with me, that's where I would start. Think about it. You've been breathing your whole life, every moment. Do you ever think about it? If you're like most people and like myself, you and your breath are being led around, dragged around, by your mind, by uncontrollable thoughts, constructs of memory. What if you switched that and let your breath lead for once? What might life might be like for you? Do you think you might be happier with a quieter mind, a mind that is more still, a mind that is aware of itself, a mind that is mindful of itself, a mind that behaves, one that you lead rather than one that leads you. It's not easy, and it's not the only way, and it takes a lifetime, but you could let your breath and the eight limbs of yoga take you there. Thank you.
We will now enter into a period of guided meditation. It will begin with three chimes of the bell. It will conclude with three chimes of the bell. Let your body settle as you settle your sitting posture. Remember, strong back, strong front. Remember why you are meditating. Let the truth of your motivation become present for you. Cultivate a heart of kindness and altruism. Bring your attention gently to your breath. Allow yourself to breathe naturally and comfortably. Be aware of the breath moving in and out of your nose. Bring your attention to the touch of your breath on the nose where the breath enters. Gently keep your attention at this point. If you lose touch with this point of attention, when you realize that you have strayed, bring your mind back to the breath. Like thoughts, noises, and distractions will arise. These two are part of the practice. Bring your mind back to the breath. Thoughts, feelings, and sensations arise as you are breathing. This is natural. They are like waves on a beach or leaves falling. No need to grasp or identify with these phenomena. Accept that this is happening and keep your foreground attention on the breath. Be aware of the quality of your breaths. Are they long or short, shallow or deep? Be with each moment as it is. Don't try to do anything or get anything from this experience. Simply accept whatever is arising and let your attention rest on your breath. Let your awareness penetrate to the experience of the sensation of breathing. If thoughts arise, simply be aware of their presence and motion in the mind and return to the breath. Do not invite your thoughts to tea. Just let thoughts arise and pass away. Just let noises and distractions arise and pass away. The, the same for feelings and sensations. Moment by moment, Thoughts, feelings, and sensations arise in our experience. Then they pass from our experience. Let them arise and pass away into emptiness. There is no need to do anything. And keep your attention gently on your breath. Who we feel we are also arises from emptiness and will pass away into emptiness. Do not cling to any idea or description.
Let go of the, sol- of the sense of a solid identity and be with the flow of your breath. All things in our experience, whether the body or in the mind or the world, arise and pass away. Simply keep your attention gently on the flow of the breath. And let be the arising, abiding, and passing of phenomena, including your own life. Namaste. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we carry in our hearts until we are together again. May you be filled with loving kindness. May you be peaceful and at ease. May you be whole. Go in peace and enjoy your week. The Unitarian Universalist Metro Atlanta North Congregation of Roswell, Georgia, Thanks you for listening to The Human Podcast. Background music, courtesy of Tim Moore from Pixabay.